Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Today it's the, it's the first of a two-week series we're doing on vision here at CCM Gorton. So we're going to be talking about this week and next week things that are on uh, my heart and Lizzie's heart for us as a church at this time. So um, this week I'm talking about our relationships with each other and next week Lizzie's going to talk about our relationship with God. So let me start off with a bit of background. Um, Since Covid happened, remember that? Panda or boo. <laughs> Since COVID happened, um, lots of churches have actually uh, really struggled because lots of people have stayed away from church. They've got used to watching it on Zoom in their pajamas and maybe the idea of going to church, not so keen on that. So lots of churches have struggled and the numbers have dwindled. But here we've been amazed to see that the numbers have, in- have increased and continue to increase. And it's really exciting. And we see upstairs, all the different groups, whether it's the creche, the glue group, youth, they're all brimming and almost at maximum capacity. And in here, some weeks we've not had enough chairs. We've had to bring some other chairs in. So it's an amazing problem to have. And it's been exciting getting to know people from across the country and across the world. It's been really, really exciting. But the more people there are, the trickier it can be to get to know one another, to properly care for each other. And yet, as we're going to be reminded this morning, loving each other was one of the key things that Jesus had something to say about. So it needs our attention. First, let's reflect a little bit on what the world is like today. In the world we live in now, in Manchester, you can live a life Uh, with very little interaction with anyone else. You could get yourself a nice one-bedroom apartment. You could uh, work from home. You can um, have food delivered to your door. You can have, uh, do all of your bills online. You can do all of your shopping online. You can send and receive parcels with those funny cupboards outside the supermarket. You know the ones I'm talking about, or next to petrol stations. Um, You can... um, You can live a life without needing to rely on anyone else. And maybe you think this sounds amazing. But the point I'm trying to make here is how isolated we can be in this culture. Since the 1980s, in this country, there's been a steady rise in the number of people who have died in their home and not been discovered for many weeks, months or years because people live such lonely lives. And they say loneliness can be as bad for your health as smoking 20 cigarettes a day. We need each other. But it's not always been like that. Let's have a look at a photo here. My dad, who you know is here today, one of the greatest storytellers I've ever known. Um, That uh, is not a picture of my dad, but I didn't have time to find one. So that that represents my dad. So, it is, it's from Pinterest, typed in 1950s schoolboy. So, my dad um, would, would tell us stories growing up about his childhood, what it was like. You can keep that, keep that on, John, keep that picture on. Um, now, 
he'd tell us about what life was like growing up in the 1950s. And let me tell you about what it was like. My, when my dad was just five years old, he used to walk to school and back from school every day. That's not unusual, is it? People walk to school, it's good, good for you. But what's interesting is my dad used to do it all by himself. So at age five, he describes how he'd walk down the street, very steep road, all the way down to the bottom. He'd turn down a, an alleyway with big walls at the side. He'd go alongside a playing field, go alongside an allotment. I hope I've got this right, Dad. He'd go around a road up to the school playground, all by himself. Little, little David, age five, walking along in his little shorts. <laughs> now... If that happened today, if you saw a little boy going up and down Hyde Road every day, you'd be concerned. Age five, going to school on your own. But the world was different then. Um, back then, it was normal. People looked out for each other. Where my dad lived, lots of people worked on the railways. People knew each other. They'd look out for each other. Um, maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've lived in another country where this sense of community and looking out for each other is still very strong. And we can think, if only things were like that. Well, this morning we're going to hear about how the type of community Jesus wants us to be is actually not one like 1950s England. And Jesus' goal for you and for me is not just to replicate the sense of community found in parts of Africa or other countries. Actually, Jesus wants us to love one another in a way that is better than anything the world has to offer. So we're going to explore what the Bible says about how and why you and I are supposed to love one another, and we're going to have a think about what we can do about it today. Um, what I want to do is I want to look at the repeated messages within Jesus' final teaching session. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper right before he's arrested uh, and would later be killed. It's his last teaching session. This is significant. Um, so I'm going to read the verses which will come on screen now. I've pulled out a few sections from um, in the book of John. So you can see uh, it says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then Jesus continues later on and he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And a bit later he says, this is my command, love each other. So how are we supposed to love one another according to the Bible? Um, let me tell you about a time at a youth camp called uh, Nevin, which many of you are familiar with. Many years ago when the kids were much younger, Lizzie and I went for a week and we, would, uh, we were helping to do the teaching each evening for the young people. So we'd, we'd prepare, we'd plan, what are we going to teach each night? Um, but we probably had quite an emphasis on what are we going to share on the last night? The last night before all these young people go back home to uh, wherever they've come from. What can we do to help them remember all the things we've been te teaching them? 
So maybe would have thought, I know what's going to make a difference. We'll create a laminated bookmark and we'll hand it all out and people can pop it in their Bible and that will help them to remember the things that we've taught them. Or maybe we'd have thought, we'll give them all a white stone to remember something in Revelation about something to do the white stone. So we're thinking, how can we, what can we do to impress this message on the young people's hearts to help them remember so we were thinking about what to do on the last night of teaching, but this, what we're reading today, is another level. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He knows he's about to leave them, not because they're going back to Cheshire. He knows he's about to face flogging and death. And we get to listen in to Jesus' final words of teaching. The last night of teaching from the greatest teacher of all time. And it includes telling his followers to love one another. And Jesus brings up this topic, as we've seen, about loving one another several times during this teaching session. But he also gives his disciples a very visual reminder. In fact, in this last teaching session of Jesus, there are two practical things that Jesus does to help them remember what he's telling them. One is eating the Last Supper to remember Jesus giving his body and his blood. And we're going to do that later on this morning. Can anyone remember what the other practical thing is that Jesus does during this final time with his disciples? Washes their feet. Jesus washed the disciples' stinky feet in chapter 13. And can you imagine, we read over that, don't we? But imagine, that would have taken quite a bit of time. You know, he's going around all 12 disciples, all right, take your sandals off, let's get the water that, that takes time. That's a very, very memorable thing that would have happened. And Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And he continues, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So it's easy to be over-familiar with this scene, but let's not miss the significance of it. Quick recap, it's the last night before he gets killed, his final teaching session. He's repeating the message over and over again. He describes it as his command. And he's given them a visual demonstration one by one. He's gone up to them, washing their feet. And so I wonder, have, have you and have I recognised how significant this command is for us to love one another? I think we are good at loving one another here at CCM Gorton, as uh, we heard earlier from Andy and Veronica. But I think it's right for us to reflect on how we can grow in this area. So Jesus makes it clear it's very important for us believers to be loving each other. But he's also clear about how our love for one another should result in unity. That will be of one heart and mind. In fact, as part of Jesus' final uh, night of teaching, he goes on later to pray to the Father to ask that those who believe in him may be united. And we've got a slide here of this uh, prayer uh, of Jesus. It says this, My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus praying, talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that, uh, put it in bold to give you a handy hint, all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you've sent me and I've loved them even as you have loved me. See those things I've picked out, that all of them may be one, that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. This is a really important thing for people who follow Jesus, people who believe in Jesus, that we would be united. And it's amazing, if you were to flick forwards in the Bible, you get to see how this prayer of Jesus was fulfilled a matter of weeks later. In Acts chapter 4, we hear how more than 3,000 people have turned to Jesus and put their trust in Jesus. And if you you look at the detail, it says um, that all the believers were one in heart and mind. So we've got Jesus praying that they would be one, and then we hear loads of believers, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. So they seem to be such amazing times. The church is fulfilling the prayer that Jesus has prayed. But it didn't stay like that for long. If you're to flick forwards a bit more in time through your Bible, uh, a few years later, you'd get to the first letter that Paul sent to the church in Corinth. And we hear there's trouble in the church. They are not united. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And it's still relevant today, isn't it? I was listening to a podcast this week, an interview with a a real brain box, a guy called N.T. Wright. You might be familiar with him. Um, Real brainy guy. He really knows his Bible. And someone had asked him, if Paul, the writer of many letters in the Bible, if Paul were to come back today, what would he say to the modern church? I don't know what you think might be in that letter. But the response was from this guy, N.T. Wright. He said, the first and most important thing Paul would worry about is unity. But why is loving each other and unity such a big deal? Why why do we need to be bothered about that? Of course, it's much nicer to be in a church where people love each other uh, and don't have big disagreements, but that's not the reason that Jesus states in his prayer in John 17. This is why he wants us to be united. So if we flick on, I've handily underlined the reasons So Jesus wants us to be united so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that the Father has sent Jesus. And then it carries on, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So when we are united in heart and mind, the world will believe that the Father sent Jesus. This is really, really powerful, isn't it? We could put on events We could try to do stuff on our own, but what Jesus mentions here is the impact of a united church. So we've seen that loving one another as followers of Jesus is a top priority. We've seen how it should result in unity and that that will help people to believe and trust in Jesus. But what does it mean for you and for me? If we go back to the 1980s, um, you might not believe I was alive then, but that's when I was growing up. And and I can remember going to Frederick Harrison Infant School, and I had a real good group of pals. 
really tight-knit. It was Darren, Lee, Paul, and me. We used to hang out together all the time. So age five or six, we'd play Thundercats in the playground. We all liked the same girl. We all lived in a similar area. You could not separate us. We were tight. But then I can remember Frederick Harrison Infant School, you got to a certain age and you moved up to Stevenson Junior School across the playing field. So we were all in Mrs. Kelly's class. And then I remember finding out they were going to be in Mrs. Bingham's class at Stevenson Junior School, but I was going to be in Miss Wilson's class. So all my friends were going into this class, and I was going into this class. Um, so it was okay, though. I got over it. I got a new friend called Boffy, and we, we developed new friends. And that's a similar... Yeah, we can talk about that later. Who is this last name? But, but over time, you know, you get to know new people. And I'm sure that's lots of our experiences is you move from school to school to sixth form, maybe to university or you move house. And all through those stages in our life, we have to get to know new people and we make new friends. And that's, that's just something we do. But as we get older, it can be different. In fact, I found a research study that found that people generally keep making new friends until they're 25. But after that point, friendships start to decline and fall away. And it's especially difficult for men. In 2018, the Movember Foundation found that 27% of men say they have no close friends at all. And if you're one of the lucky men who does have friends, you might not see them much as you get older, because of men who are aged over 55, 22% say they never see their friends. That's what it's like in the world. But that is not our story. And we are commanded by Jesus to love one another. I think this is a great time for us to reflect on how we can grow in the way we love other followers of Jesus. So how can we do that? Maybe you'd think, well, I'll keep coming on Sunday. I'm going to try and talk to as many people as possible. One option. Maybe you'd think, I'm going to keep going to church on Sunday, and I'm going to focus on talking to the same one person every week. You'd get to know them more quickly, but it might be a little bit intense. (laughs) You might feel at your max when it comes to relationships, or you might feel like you want to have more close friendships. Maybe you find relationships with other people difficult. Wherever we're at, I'm sure we can all grow in this area. But one thing we can't do is aim to be close friends with every single person in this church. In fact, as I was looking into this, there's an anthropologist, if you know what that is, called Robin Dunbar, and he's done some research on this very topic. He developed a theory based on the number of relationships our brains can maintain at once. And he found that people are generally capable of having around five close friends. We're talking people whose shoulder you'll cry on. He also said we're capable of having, including that five, 15 good friends. And then he had the next layer of 50 friends that you're not as close with, and then 150 meaningful contacts. And I think it's really interesting what he said, I think some of the stuff he said is probably very true, but it was 2,000 years late. 
Because, of course, Jesus had an inner circle of three. He had 12 disciples. He sent out 72. But there's something in it. And I wonder what it might look like for you. We're all different, so it's obviously not a one-size-fits-all approach. But do you feel that you have some close friendships with other people who believe in Jesus? Do you know enough about your brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to love them well? Are there people in your church family who know you well enough to be able to love you properly? Coming on a Sunday, it's a great opportunity to get to uh, meet lots of people, to worship together, but it takes time to get to know people, especially with the short amount of time we have here each week. Or maybe you do have a few close friendships, but you're not connected with many other people beyond that. So I've just rattled off a few opportunities here that came to mind that I could think of uh, through which we could enable us to grow in our love for one another, to get to know one another. So I'm just going to go through a list here. Um, On Sundays, so for some of us, maybe the challenge is for us to um, chat to someone we don't know on a Sunday even though we feel awkward about it. Or maybe you could join one of our serving teams here. There's lots of things happening, lots of things need to be done to help run things on a Sunday. Maybe you could volunteer to get involved and through that process, get to know other people at the same time. During the week, we have community groups. Maybe you could join one of those. They're places where we get together, we read the Bible, we pray for each other. On Saturday mornings, there's a women's prayer meeting on Zoom. If you're a woman, you could join that one. Um, maybe you could ask a few other people to join you as a prayer tripler or a group of four. You could maybe commit just to do it for a couple of months. or Whatever works for you. You could do it on Zoom or you could do it in person. Maybe um, you could just hang out with someone from church that you don't know that well. But it, does, it takes guts, doesn't it, to ask someone. Maybe you could invite someone to your house for lunch Maybe you could invite yourself to someone else's house for lunch. (laughs) Maybe you could pray regularly for other people through the week and then you could send them messages of encouragement if things come to mind or if there's verses that are on your heart. Whatever other idea works for you, that's just a few things um, that I could think of, of ways we can get to know one another um, more closely. Because I think... The more we commit to knowing each other, the better we can love each other. I think the more we commit to knowing each other, the better we can love each other. So loving people sounds great, doesn't it? I don't think anyone would disagree. That's a good thing to do. But I think it's important to recognise that it's not always easy. We're all a little bit messed up, aren't we? We can find other people prickly or rude. Or they can find us prickly or rude. Or we don't get on with them. Or we get offended or we somehow upset other people. Or we might get hurt. Maybe we've been hurt. And it can be hard to love other people. And that's why Jesus commanded that we do it. In that letter earlier to the church in uh, Corinth that I mentioned, um, 
later on in the, in, the, uh, in the letter, we hear that some of the believers had such a problem with one another that they were taking each other to court. And Paul suggests that they should rather be cheated and lose out than expose the disunity among, uh, in front of unbelievers. Now, I think we need to be careful how we apply that to our lives, but the challenge is, how can we love one another when we f- don't feel like doing it? And I think that's where we need to go back to the original scripture that we started off uh, this morning. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. When Jesus was saying this to his disciples, to love each other as he's loved them, they might have thought, oh, he's talking about the foot washing. That's what we need to do. We need to wash each other's feet. Right, yeah, get that. But by the end of that weekend, the example that Jesus had given them was far beyond what they could have imagined Jesus had given them his life to forgive their sins and get them right with God. He died on a cross. And so for us, we can, only, we can only keep on loving other people if we're powered by God's love for us. In fact, it's the same for any difficult thing that's happening in our life, including loving others when it feels hard. So listen to a few reminders from other scriptures in the Bible, other parts of the Bible, about this truth that we need to be powered by God's love. Um, In the letter to the church in Rome, it says this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices. In view of God's mercy. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews encourages to fix our eyes on Jesus, to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. I'll say that again. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, he says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We need God's love to heal us, to motivate us, to affect every part of our lives, and that's only possible because Jesus sacrificed his life for us, his body and his blood, which we're going to spend time remembering in a few minutes. There's so many verses I could have uh, rattled through, but I'm just going to do one more. So this is in another letter, the letter 1 John, and it says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And he continues, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
Let's be a church that lays down our lives for one another. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.